Welcome back to Evil Thespian Podcast. We are here with Alex Beige. They are a playwright and also they make websites. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yes. Where are you right now? I'm in my bedroom and office in Astoria. Astoria. I've always wanted to live in Astoria um, only because I'm pretty sure my biological uh, grandparents are from there because um, mm. my uh, my dad's Greek so when he was adopted <laughs> this I'm already just taking a turn um, <laughs> long story short um, I'm pretty sure I'm like tangentially from Astoria um, mm. but it seems nice how long have you been there it's super nice um, I've been here for three years almost three years yeah. Nice. And how, um, where, where were you, uh, before? Before I was, um, I was in a few sublets around New York. Mm -hmm. Um, so this was like during COVID, but yeah, I came to New York for undergrad. So mm -hmm. I'd been in the city before, um, yeah. coming here. Yeah. Yeah. Where did you go, uh, to undergrad for? I went to Columbia. Wow. And did you have a good experience? Um, <laughs> my my what is it my stock answer is that it was really mm -hmm. that I loved it and it was great but not I didn't love it enough to finish like I didn't actually graduate mm -hmm. um yeah. yeah I I really liked like the theater arts scene there yeah so what I hear it, it's funny I actually hear a lot of like the same sentiment of many people who come on this show I'll hear a very much either somebody graduated from a very like esteemed program and just like have very neutral feelings about it or uh, similar to you uh, will feel like it was great, but not enough to really push me all the way through. <laughs> yeah. Was, do you, was it more of like, did you feel um, that it was more like the administrative reason or more of like the people in the program? It was it was like a little bit of both. Definitely, mm -hmm. the administration is ter terrible as they often yeah. are. Um, yeah. But for me, so I was studying chemical engineering, yeah. and um, but my interests were very much so like theater, stand up comedy. So there was a big rift between what I was studying and what I actually wanted to do that made it mm -hmm. harder to enjoy my time there. Mm -hmm. And how long have you had sort of? <laughs> the it, the theater bug or like the <laughs> the itch to um pursue something like stand-up or theater yeah i think i think actually when i came to new york for undergrad i was like i'm gonna go to new york for school and also become a stand-up comic um so that was mm -hmm. kind of my i was literally thinking that as i was going into school but um i think it was like middle school era um that that was when I got like the theater bug and mm -hmm. uh, stand up became interested in stand up. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Who's a? I'm so interested in because um, I'm very far away from sort of the comedy scene. I mean, I'm in Chicago, so my husband and I used to be very involved in the uh, improv uh, stand up scene uh, in the city. And um, once the years leading up to COVID and the years after COVID. Um, everybody just left the city and so many things in culture just took 
a turn for the worst here. Um, mm-hmm. I'm more or less like so far away from it and estranged from it now, but I wonder um, how do you feel, what's a good model for a good stand-up comedian now in 2024? Like just how they should do it, you mean? Well, I w- maybe more specifically, do you yourself have any, have any inspirations or um, specific models or forms um, of comedians that you think are really hit it on the nose? So, and to be clear, you mean like yeah. <laughs> the form of like this, the structure of like the, the shows and like um, the stand-up community or do you mean the actual like performing? Yeah, comedy? I would, I think um, to me, I'm really interested in uh, like the setup and the punchline aspects because there are so many ways i guess delivery is what (laughs) what i'm saying because um comedic delivery has really changed a lot over the past couple years post covid um Mm -hmm. and i don't really know what that looks like or what that is but i just know there's a lot of old ways of delivering that i don't think work as well now um Mm. what do you think is like a like, what do you, how do you prefer to like deliver um, jokes, I guess? <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So I kind of have two answers to that. Yeah. There's like what I do and what I'm interested in. And then mm-hmm. there's also like what you touched on about delivery of stand up and everything changing. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as like things changing, especially like post COVID in the mm-hmm. last few years, I would like to imagine it has a lot to do with, um, like the fact that there were all these stand-up specials that started happening and like yeah. stand-up started being consumed alone and like on the internet and on Instagram as well as opposed to just in person. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of what that means, I think, is that like the way you deliver a joke and perform stand-up, you may also be performing it with an invisible audience in mind, mm-hmm. um, thinking, oh, how's this going to look on someone's laptop in Netflix on Netflix or something. Yeah or on someone's phone um, as far as like jumping into the joke for like a 60 second clip or something. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something that's that's kind of changed the way that, that delivery has been um, shifting. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that's yeah. what I wanted to say about that. So like the people, the way people write jokes are um, already informed by the expectation that it's gonna be captured from a certain angle in a certain certain snippet of a Netflix special. Yeah, I think you yeah. I think you really can't ignore that now. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I think also with just the way that comedy is made on social media platforms, I think by performing stand up in person, you either have to like consciously think about that or maybe even consciously distance yourself from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's probably the best way to do it, because sometimes do you ever see somebody who is doing stand-up or doing a performance in person and you can just tell that maybe this is the wrong in person is the wrong place for <laughs> this uh this kind of delivery and like form and like writing it almost feels like kind of a misplaced a little bit like wow this is great writing this is go- i understand but why do i feel like it would perform better on tiktok um, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I think I know what you mean. Yeah. Do you see that in New York a lot, um, in different communities or, 
um, do you think there's sort of like a drive for people to distance themselves from the internet? Um, a drive to distance themselves? I do think that like, one thing I will say is that I think that the standup that I've seen by like chronically online people mm-hmm. recently versus what I saw before COVID is much weirder as a general mm. rule. And mm-hmm. I think it's because, um, because like the comedy you can consume on um, Instagram or TikTok is like a specific way. I think in order to do stand up well and to actually be a, um, like gravitated to actually be someone who's seeking that out, mm-hmm. I think you have to be like very interested in the way that like in-person performance can function as comedy. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I see like a lot more like meta things, like stranger things in general that mm-hmm. literally just maybe wouldn't be possible um, online. Mm. So do you you feel like a lot of stuff is very more self-referential right now? Yeah, at least yeah. the the comedy that I've been seeing um, by people my age a lot more versus yeah. the comedy I see by my older friends. What do you think is, oh, so maybe like the main difference that comedians that are like more of an older generation, I guess, yeah, that totally makes sense because it's a little bit more um, based in like op- observing things, I guess, older comedians because I'm such a fan of like what about that airline food guys you know um Mm -hmm. all of these different things like there's so much to pull from in the outside world and to my in my mind like I can talk about myself all day but if anybody listens to the podcast like consistently I repeat myself constantly because there's a limitation here I'm only you know I'm only of a certain age and I just uh, you know, it, it, it stops at one point, you know? <laughs> um, so that's, that's interesting. How long have you sort of um, been practicing and what do you practice outside of, if you have any other practices outside of stand-up? Yeah, so I started doing stand-up like more or less as soon as I came to New York my mm-hmm. first year. Um, but I didn't actually... I basically took a break during COVID entirely. So last or two weeks ago, I performed stand-up for the first time in like three years almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it, it was like a lot. It, it was a lot different than the way it was before. I think. Yeah. What was the hardest part? Like um, getting back into it or starting? Yeah, I would say like, I guess both like getting back into things and yeah, it's they can almost be like the same thing sometimes like many times in my life I have had to completely start over and pick up other activities where I left off and um it sort of feels like in some sense uh, going back to the beginning what was what did that kind of look like for you yeah so at least in terms of starting um the hard part was um I feel like in order to become a good stand-up comedian, you have to be comfortable being bad and be mm-hmm. and get desensitized to like failing mm-hmm. on stage um, because that's the only way you can get better mm-hmm. um, through open mics. And um, yeah, I think, I think you can't actually become a good stand-up comedian until you've bombed horribly a handful of times. Mm-hmm. Um, so coming back to stand-up, I kind <laughs> of had that bit already out of the way. Like I was used to... Being yeah. on stage, yeah, and, and knowing prepared. that I'll, right, right, <laughs> yes. and knowing that if I 
mess up, I'll still be alive. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think jumping into it, jumping back into it was just like scary because up until that point when I had performed, I was like performing alongside someone and there's something just like so much more comfortable about knowing that someone like has you on stage. Yeah. What, um, when, so I'm interested because you originally said you uh, went to school to study um, uh, engineering, if I mm -hmm. recall correctly. When did um, that become something that became close, like farther and farther away from you in terms of like your interests or what you want to define as like your craft or vocation? Yeah, I think I just started to get a sense of how much more I enjoyed theater and performance mm -hmm. and the kind of things we can make there. Um, and I had a few like internships and experiences um, doing like standard chemical engineering things. Mm -hmm. I was just like, wow, this is horrible. I don't, <laughs> why would anyone do this to themselves? And what I does would, a person I, do as a chemical engineer? Like, what is the, do you go to an office or? <laughs> A lab so, or <laughs> you could yeah so going into it i thought oh well i'll do this and i will help with sustainability efforts i'll yeah. make the world a better place um and oh, yeah. make a decent bit of money in the process um and then i realized oh like chemical engineering for the most part you either go into pharmaceuticals or you go into the oil industry or um Ooh. Yeah, or in my <laughs> case, heavy. yeah, I mean, that's where most, of, that's what most of them do. And in mm -hmm. my case, I was just going, um, I had an internship making shampoo. That's um, cool. It was, it was weird. And what? I had that. Yeah. <laughs> what, how was that weird? <laughs> um, It was weird in so many different ways. So I was working at Procter & Gamble as a hair care formulation. Mm -hmm. um intern so i was in the lab like putting sulfate free shampoo mm -hmm. surfactants together to try to make mm -hmm. like a formulation that worked um mm -hmm. and it was just weird to see people who dedicated their entire lives to shampoo that was kind of freaky and a scary idea yeah. to me like at um, a molecular level right, right? Well, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah, so that was freaky, and yeah, I just I just couldn't see myself doing that forever. Yeah, and wow. the thing that I kind of learned was that um, the shampoo didn't actually matter how well it worked. Like that wasn't mm -hmm. the important thing. Like yeah. marketing was the entire part of the the company that was mm -hmm. actually driving revenue. So it was like okay, yes. making this shampoo for no reason that doesn't even work. That yeah, so. Yeah, it, I hear that it usually comes down to which, <laughs> which like VC partners you uh, partner with, because uh, uh, this is such a weird tangent. Jonathan Van Ness's uh, line of shampoos, just um, the company was sold for a million dollars, which is like mm. an incredible failure for considering how uh, what an influencer this person is. And essentially, it just truly came down to a combination of like marketing, um, wrong time, wrong place, and the economy and a bunch of their parent, the parent company got bought out. It's a whole mess. So yeah, the beauty industry I, I hear is like very, very wild and competitive. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 
So um, do you have like a specific moment where you felt like more emboldened to like commit yourself to performing um, or was it more like very gradual for you? Um, I think it was, for the most part, I was trying to do them both at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like I would spend my time in class doing engineering things and then all my extracurriculars were like stand up or theater or something like that. Yeah. Long, long days, long nights. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, this is what my husband and I experienced in Chicago. There became a certain time where it was like we had to really decide where we wanted to put our time uh, in and where. Um, because, man, some of these, uh, the comedy people, they will have shows at like 2 a.m. And mm-hmm. I there were so many times where I felt like I can't get my foot in the door because I have a nine-to-five job maybe I would just be better off as a waitress and the times were in my life where I felt like oh yeah I'm really gonna get my big break it's usually and it doesn't work out it's usually because Mm -hmm. I had some kind of um, conventional nine-to-five and it was operating more as a block in my creative life more than it was like a foundation like that's the idea you know like when you went through that were you thinking like to yourself is this is this working like is it supposed to be doing what it's supposed to be doing like um like what is what doing what it's supposed to be doing like when you have a full-time job and like you're oh. there you're thinking like is this it <laughs> you know right right yeah, is this no, I it definitely relate to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, this can't be it this can't be it and i honestly sometimes in my creative life like i feel like that um because a lot of times it is like just moving the needle ever so slightly and uh every single day i think to myself all right is this it like could maybe this is it (laughs) you know um yeah do you ever have those moments like even now when you like go to when you perform do you still have like those moments of like uncertainty um uncertainty about like what it's doing you mean yeah like about like yeah those kind of like is this it (laughs) feeling um because sometimes like at least for me i will like build up all these expectations about what this is going to look like when i do this Mm. and here's what it looks like in my mind's eye and then i get there and i'm like oh it doesn't look how it looked in my dreams yeah but I think that's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, that's okay. I have definitely had those moments. Yeah. 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 Like when I, I find that when I'm working with people I know and people I really like, I have mm-hmm. those moments a lot less. Um, and I feel like I've started to realize like how I work best, which has helped. But yeah, I definitely mm-hmm. still have those moments. Um, how would you describe like how you work best? Like what's your... What's sort of like the main principle that like really drives um, how you can like really complete a project? Yeah. um, Like as long as I have this baked into what I'm making, it's gonna, I'm gonna see it through. Yeah, geez, that feels like a big question. Um, (laughs) It's heavy. Yeah, I think- It could be a combination of things. Yeah, I, I think, Definitely a big one is 
trying so yeah it, it has to mm -hmm. like feel like it's aligning with my like internal um yeah. compass or whatever that is yeah and i think like definitely one of the guiding principles is um freedom in some sense mm -hmm. and yeah. yeah just making sure that the piece isn't like restricting me or the artists mm -hmm. in some way um yeah yes yeah. i i totally get what you're saying because for me I and similarly when things are restrictive I'm kind of of the mind where I really don't like lying and manipulation um like only time I'm going to be manipulative is like when I'm acting okay like outside mm. of the fourth wall you know and yeah um I think yeah the points of theater and um literature and like writing to me is should be led with extreme radical honesty um yeah. and the freedom to sort of feel like certain uh the whole like spectrum of emotions um right, when you're right. extremely honest um and i think also that aligns with like the principle with like um transgression like there i think earlier in this project when i started um I had a, a partner that started with me and we were really like, how do we be transgressive? What is that? What is that? How do we do yeah. it? There are all these other people that are like doing it, that are doing it so well, but like, how do we do it? Like what, it, how do I do? And I feel like it's, you can't really leave. Like honesty is truly the only way. Don't even think about like right. what it's going right, to look right. like, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. Um, that reminded me of so, that reminded me of my principles in like, better clarity with better clarity <laughs> yeah yeah it, yeah honesty is like the best pol. it's like the best policy um and i think in a time where so i'm also like sort i'm a self-taught web developer so oh, sick wait same. yeah oh really okay yeah how did yeah. you get started um i use webflow but i got started well I took off my senior year after COVID started mm -hmm. um, and just started freelancing then and then kind of just figured it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's so funny because it truly is one of those things where um, all you really have to do is like take a couple of days or weeks, make a couple of projects and then you can, you're a web developer. Um, yeah. my, uh, my parents always tell me like, you know, there's a bunch of tech layoffs, uh, obviously, like happening right now. And it's like a very sad time, ostensibly. But um, my parents always told me like, oh, my God, like in the dot com era, there were all these people who got hired because they were web developers. And at that time, it was like, you're a, you're a genius. Um, yeah. oh, you know how to code like that's unheard of. And everybody got like nice cars and like fancy houses. And then when it started to become very bloated it didn't mean it so long way of saying whenever i feel down on myself um i just remember that i'm a web developer and maybe now it doesn't get me a fancy car but it does give me the fancy car in my heart <laughs> so you know yeah. yeah um and i also feel like I don't know. I never, it was until I picked up web development that I like didn't even realize it was such a good channel to like be creative. I just didn't right. even think about like learning how to code, being synonymous with 
being creative. It just didn't dawn yeah. on me. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm just now kind of realizing that and I'm trying to like chase that feeling. Yeah, and well, it's funny, the last tech startup I worked at, you know, we had all of these um, junior front-end developers outsourced um, to Eastern Europe and it was like one of these things where like, oh, these developers that are outsourced laborers, are they're so mysterious because they are so smart and know how to code and they're all the way over there. But it's like, I kind of was like sitting there at my job and I was just a salesperson and I was like, I, I can do this actually. Like, let's just cut the middleman. No need yeah. to the contracts and like, just don't make, like, it's not making messy. How, I'll just go in there, unlock the pearly gates, like, you know. Um, and I guess, yeah, same thing, like just self-taught. And um, I think in what I've been into now is just trying to figure out how to really be transgressive in terms of user interface. Cause there's like so much stuff that's happening right now. Um, yeah. And like the develop, not necessarily like, yeah, just development. There's a lot of heavy investment in like development and um, new UX, UI principles. Um, yeah. Have you like, what kind of things have you been like thinking of? Cause I, I saw your website about um, all the different uh, theater companies um, oh, on there. Yeah. I really, I really liked it a lot. Uh, Cause I like the design. Um, what other things like are you interested in, in terms of like, or that like fascinates you um, about user interface? Yeah, so I found out about the School for Poetic Computation. Um, in New York, maybe like mm -hmm. August of new of last year. And since then that has like ignited this interest for me and like trying yeah. to think of um, interfaces as being like non-neutral spaces, but also ones that can be artistic. Um, so yeah, I think like from there that got me thinking of, mm -hmm. of different ways I could chase that. Um, so yeah, I've done a few different online things like I made in the last class I took with them, I made this scene for a book I really liked. And um, yeah, I think that like several of the people who uh, may be listening to your podcast who know me, know me because of the blog that I made about uh, Matthew Gazda. So yeah. that, that feels like another antic based thing yeah. that I've done on the web. It's It's such a great place to just like put something on. The last thing, I like tried to do because I previously previously worked at like a augmented reality VR Whoa. AR like all that stuff is like taking off now and uh, but they <laughs> laid me off um, and um, <laughs> I but I've been I picked up so many skills in terms of like really intimate immersive experiences and what people really want in when it comes to like feeling something on the internet. Um, because there's so much stuff out there but when you walk away you really think i'm like okay where's the gap where i feel like i'm not feeling anything here <laughs> you know mm. do you ever feel like that when you like you're like making something i i don't feel like that so much when i'm working mm -hmm. on my sites like actually mm -hmm. for the most part i am developing and like i'm working alongside designers like i don't always design my own sites mm -hmm. um but I do feel that on other websites often, mm -hmm. like the, the marketing sites that we've kind of gotten accustomed to the last few mm -hmm. years. And in meeting people from the School of Poetic Computation, they're constantly talking about how much better and more interesting websites 
were like 15 years ago. So that's been a huge um, eye-opening experience for me in terms of what the website, what the web can be. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I agree. I feel on some level that it's uh, coming full circle because of the platform wars. Like right. right now, if you have a store, in order to optimize as much as possible, you got to contract with this platform and this platform and manage all these little things. It's come to such a bubble now where it's like, and also because of, because um, Google's ending cookies, it's like, actually, you're going to have, everyone's going to have to invest so much in the back end of their websites to the point where it's like, no, 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 all the web developers don't, don't work at a platform, a third party. Do work, you make your own experience on your web, on a website. That's the best okay. way to do it. That's like a really, so I'm going to write this down. The School for Poetic Computation. What, what is that? Say more about that. Yeah. So they are a, um, they like teach classes on, about like, interfaces, websites, critical theory, and well, not website specifically, but interfaces mm -hmm. and technology at the intersection of arts, but also like critical theory. So mm -hmm. um, they offer a lot of different frameworks and share a lot of different frameworks for thinking mm -hmm. about technology um, more consciously. And mm -hmm. yeah, and, and rather cool. than having technology like control you, you actually you... be able to interact. Yeah yeah be the change you want to see in the world yeah yeah sorry my uh, headphone just ran out of a battery anyways um uh that's so interesting so you also said something interesting um you mentioned that like most people know you for uh matt gazda blog say more about that um yeah i mean my my guess or my intuition is that i think that's the largest overlap between people who listen to your podcast and yeah um, yeah, who maybe have heard of me. Yeah. Well, it's funny. They, um, people, it's weird. People like surface, there must be like some magical algorithmic thing happening on Instagram because so much of what I hear uh, from like guests, it's like, oh, Instagram, Instagram. I love Instagram. I I'm like, so I'm like trying, I'm doing my best to be like so active on Instagram. Um, mm -hmm. And my kind of MO is like, any you gotta play you gotta play anybody's gotta play you know um i'm i'm like please like anybody who has a play i don't care i've had people send me the weirdest most esoteric things so i'm like please um by all means and i think it's weird it's just weirdly weaved itself in here um a lot and yeah it's weird how you can like have like the seven connections or like the seven uh you right. know links to, to somebody and like to m people much farther away from you. So it's almost kind of creepy in a way. <laughs> yeah, it is almost a little creepy. I, I agree, but yeah. definitely interesting. Yeah, I think there, I mean, do you feel like it's a good time uh, in New York for theater right now? Um, I think theater has like a really I think it has a much needed role that it needs to fulfill mm -hmm. in um, New York and maybe the world more generally right now. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's an especially good time, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it's ever a good time now, now, <laughs> now that I think about it. Right. Yeah, 
what so i know you're um speaking of instagram um i've like just seen loosely things you've done and like performances what's the most can you talk about like most recent um show you've done yeah most recent show most recent show i did was last friday mm -hmm. well one week ago yeah um it was with fucked up play fest mm -hmm. and it was which is like a drinking game and also um short play festival mm -hmm. and yeah i had a plan that that i wrote but i also performed in called fairy milk Mm -hmm. what was what was that uh about yeah so um on one level it was about an insomniac who's being treated um by a fairy neurosurgeon and so yeah and the fairy neurosurgeon is very like kind of kind of aloof like not super interested in conforming to the ideas of like the normal average doctor that a human might expect mm -hmm. um and on another level it was just about the dark web and yeah. about how um how like desperation leads people to seek out modes of um yeah like medication self-medication mm -hmm. that the american pharmaceuticals industry maybe can't support them in. yeah i see a lot of like f fucked up shit on the well i don't go to the dark web but um anytime i mean we all go down little rabbit holes every now and then and so there are times yeah. where i feel like i'm looking over the cliff and i'm like oh no 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 i've i've <laughs> i've gone too far um yeah what what's was sort of like a driver in writing this play yeah it was a few different things so i myself am a purveyor surveyor of the dark web and um yeah so how's the dark web like what's going on <laughs> what's going on um what is going on? I mean, not a ton. I don't think yeah. anything super interesting has happened recently. I mean, I think one of the larger markets got shut down um, <laughs> a few months ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's like mostly the same old thing. Mm -hmm. um, hmm. But yeah, yeah. I think right now the stimulant shortage for ADHD medication that's been going on for like mm -hmm. a year and a half has driven more people towards the dark web. Which is something I've been very interested in looking at recently. For um, talk more, say more about that. I'm interested. Yeah. So, oh man. Okay. Where do I, where do I start? Well, so I have been on the dark web and mm -hmm. have been looking at things on the dark web for so very long now. Like mm -hmm. the first time I kind of experienced it was when I was like 17, just like fucking around. Um, oh yeah, I remember the early days where like it was so easy to get in tapped into the dark web and mm. um yeah it, it's weird because i feel like i was so neutralized so, so such an early age because it was so easy to see the most like disgusting things <laughs> and then be exposed to like the world's most horrible um most uh, debased uh, content you could ever like what what kind of things were you seeing on the dark web uh just like people in just like i guess crimes in general just crime i mean yeah. i feel like that's whether it's uh very more or less like <laughs> uh mild uh exchange of goods or it's something like very deep-seated um on multiple different institutional levels and you only sure. get like a one snippet 
fleeting snippet on the dark web and it just like traumatizes you um mostly like death and violence and stuff like that um and now obviously like i would never go near anything like that again um but yeah i do hear stories all the time of just like stuff that is just like floating around out there and it feels like space almost (laughs) like the same feeling yeah cyberspace yeah seriously (laughs) (laughs) yeah um but no you were saying you've been on the dark web a little bit um would you say like you're like a dark web like a like maybe like you study the dark web i think i've studied the dark web but really only respect only with respect to like dark web markets like interesting i yeah so when you mention like oh there's like violence and everything and yeah. i've actually never seen any of that i've never seen any of that on the dark web but or, it's been a while yeah. so <laughs> they must i mean have scrubbed, i just haven't scrubbed it sought it out or something yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. but yeah. what what so you mentioned the amphetamine trade um seems to be a hot button issue on um on the dark web right now i mean i have some like stupid uh, conspiracy theories what is your um what's your take on what made the first domino fall when it comes to the shortage the like um like adderall adhd medication shortage yeah i guess yeah where where did it go (laughs) yeah um yeah so people cite a few different things yeah um people talk about like some supplier issues Mm -hmm. people talk about like fda regulations not being like a adjusted or lifted um people talk about how covid and also like pharmaceutical tech startups made it so much easier to get um adhd like diagnoses through the internet Mm -hmm. um so yeah i mean i think all of these kind of things joined together where like demand increased a lot during covid um as both these startups became a thing for Mm -hmm. um people like (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also just like if you did have ADHD, suddenly being at home all day made you much more like cognizant to the fact that that was the case. Very intense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, I can definitely I mean, I feel tested this. I will be honest. I um, during COVID, I was uh, getting a prescription uh, via cerebral when they were mm. before they were like kind of the government kind of put the kibosh on their <laughs> um, you know online uh, prescriptions because I was just amazed at how the service of the platform service was so bad like I would have prescribers that would just not show up to the meeting or maybe I would be two seconds late to the appointment and the platform would be like nope we put a cap on this just like the worst customer service no response just horrible very degrading administrative support customer supports and yet when you did catch a meeting (laughs) and you did catch a um a appointment with a prescriber completely it was so easy and yeah. at the time it was before the shortage started so the 
ingredients, I guess, were still so <laughs> um, hearty. <laughs> and over time, I just noticed, yeah, cerebral, I'm just glad that <laughs> they, I'm just for myself because I just really was so pissed at the service I was getting from them. And um, yeah. yeah, it was just a messy time administratively. But then, yeah, yeah. I noticed over time the prescriptions I would get um, it was different and every single prescriber will tell you like, no, 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 it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. They didn't mess with it. And a lot of people say, if you get the brand, then you're, it's still, it's yeah, like that. But I swear, like, yeah, I just kind of swore off like certain kinds of medications because of these manufacturers that kind of do these very delicate cherry picking of how they can. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I will say this, I'm no pharmaceutical regulation expert, but from my research, um, apparently, yeah, there are all these different manufacturers um, that seem to get the same ingredients from different sources. So Mm -hmm. that's when I start going down the rabbit hole and think that the government intervened in terms of like where we are sourcing. the ingredients from what's your take on that (laughs) what's your take on that what you say about um the ingredients like or the experience of taking meds being different and shifting is a Mm -hmm. story that i've heard so much from like other people on the internet the people Um, have spoken yeah 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 Yeah. it's undeniable Mm -hmm. um yeah so so much to the point where people will call the pharmacy and say like what manufacturer does your provider like contract with mm. and people have <laughs> I don't do this but um, a lot of people uh, will call around to different pharmacies and make sure what brand of manufacturer it is because mm. apparently different manufacturers make better product it's insane <laughs> that's interesting yeah. I didn't know that was a thing yeah if you go on to um, ADHD reddits and Adderall reddits the the consensus is the same across the board and then people ask each other in different states where are you what manufacturer does your state work with what it's insane it goes very very deep I can't I don't have the energy for that yeah Yeah. no I've I've been on those subreddits too and and I mean that's where I kind of got the consensus Mm -hmm. that people got the sense that things had changed like mm-hmm. medication wise but yeah I didn't realize people were I don't know manufacturers were like part of the issue mm-hmm. there yeah and then in terms of like the dark web there's sort of like the amphetamine trade that's going on now so how do people get in touch with each other via the dark dark web does it happen in the form of like a forum or several different forums <laughs> So there are a few forums that are like the main forums where people might talk about like different suppliers, like talk about um, feedback for different things or like maybe um, different like issues they've had with specific vendors. Um, but yeah, there are also like the main markets where, where things actually take place and, and like buyers and vendors are communicating. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So we know the amphetamine trade is a hot button issue. What other yeah. markets <laughs> have? Um... It was 
Well, one more thing about that. Oh yeah, please. Which please. is yeah, which I thought was really interesting. So mm-hmm. the the thing that maybe clued me into this um like ADHD shortage to dark web part pipeline mm-hmm. was how many people both like on Reddit but also on these dark um net subreddits mm-hmm. who were like, oh like which vendors um offer like Adderall with like least amount of jitter or what can you actually focus on? Because most of the dark web Adderall is meth and people are like trying to they're trying to make it. Trying to make it? Or are they trying to make are they trying to like make meth or they're trying to get a hold? Or maybe both. Well just to say that like most like if you were trying to find Adderall on the dark web, mm-hmm. you are probably going to get meth. Okay. So cool. for people who like want it for ADHD, who are like coming because of the shortage, they're like actively trying to find ones with not so much being meth. And mm. that's that being a consistent thing made me start to like think about that pipeline. Yeah. yeah. I feel like there is a meth crisis going on right now that is being just conveniently brushed under the rug in some sense because, mm-hmm. yeah, it's something... I think there's a... Well, there's definitely a stig- social stigma about ADHD, but on a, like, a deeper level, it's such a hot... It's a commodity, and um, I think it'll... Yeah, I, th- I think it's like a ne- next generation of like... There's so many people on... I mean, you're, you're in New York. Do you have this... Uh, saying a lot of people have the sentiment that too many people or everybody uh in new york is on speed on some level would you agree with that i actually don't know anyone um personally Mm -hmm. i mean i maybe i have like internet friends who like post about it sometimes but yeah um even like at columbia i knew like a few people who Mm -hmm. maybe took it um for not like yeah explicitly yeah yeah that makes sense i mean it makes sense that um i've worked in the tech startup world and i've worked in the Mm. advertising industry and i never had those conversations in the office or knew really explicitly that there was any trade going on but yeah most people i did work with when i was in advertising um were either on cocaine or um, some form of st- stimulant. Um, in advertising? Oh, yeah. <laughs> advertising is the wild, wild west. It okay, is like, if not... you're saying, like, mm-hmm. finance, I'm like, okay, sure. Like, consulting, yeah. okay, sure. Mm-hmm. Advertising? Advertising, no it's long, yeah, long hours, late nights, early mornings. It's Damn. all political, like... I don't know if you've ever seen Mad Men, but the joke is like, not much has changed. Um, Mm -hmm. Everybody just dresses like a hype beast unless like they're in the 50s. So I just met a lot of weird characters that um, are, you know, whether you're like an old school advertising guy or you're a young creative or producer, um, it is kind of like this offshoot of the media industry. where people just do it's very competitive and it's mostly just like a bunch of bullshit and Mm. so yeah people are just like it's a race to the bottom so i had this situation where i was like working in an ad agency i wasn't even involved in any of the accounts but yeah we had these 
accounts like um, Red Bull and a bunch of like alcohol accounts. And um, yeah, I mean, there was a guy, a creative director I worked with who's like drunk in the office all the time. I went to like ad parties and people were doing cocaine in the bathroom. Yeah, it is very, it's like the media, it's sort of like the extension, Hollywood extension a little bit. Yeah. Um, because media is just like run on all these like contracted companies of people who provide digital assets and sell ad space um, or buy ad space. And um, it's just a bunch of mess and a bunch of meth, apparently. <laughs> Yeah, real. Yeah. I did not realize this at all. This is this is news to me. Yeah, there's some there's some shady shit that happens in the ad ind industry. Maybe not like the mainstream ad industry, but yeah. yeah, if you're a small boutique agency, it's um, it's so like fast and loose that it's very mm -hmm. e it, you got to be careful. And you're like run an agency because it can get like really hairy really quick. Um, but yeah, interesting. The world is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I was, um, I had an internship. So after I like kind of swore off cubicle engineering, yeah, I had a summer internship with Bloomberg Media in their digital advertising space. Mm -hmm. And that was super tame and like very like, very like respectable, normal, very wholesome. That's awesome. Um, but I assume, yeah, I'm realizing the entire industry isn't like that. Apparently. Yeah. Maybe it's yeah. just a Chicago thing. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, yeah, Chicago is such a big ad uh, city that probably just um, local to this area. <laughs> yeah. um, that makes sense, though. But um, you were saying that this, so it sounds like this uh, fixation on uh, amphetamine trade sort of influenced you writing this play. Yeah, yeah. Well, mm -hmm. so I kind of had an outline of this play that um, was like the starting point where it was like just about insomnia but then i actually finished the play for this particular festival um and then after the fact was like oh this play is clearly about the dark web mm -hmm. yeah that's so interesting well i um i remember when i was like i mean i've always been a very online person i guess would you i guess mm. well would you uh I d do you identify with being a very online person i do yeah i would say that yeah. yeah what why is is what's kind of like your your threshold for like being very online or like what makes somebody very online because it seems like everybody is online um right. but maybe that's because i'm just very online you know i what makes someone very online to me i think so as soon as you said as soon as you mentioned mentioned the dark web i was like okay this is what are my people yeah um <laughs> yeah yeah and i think just like i think there are people out there who like are seeing a, a fuller spectrum of the internet i think and i think yeah being exposed to that kind of changes your relationship to it yeah there's always a sense when i'm on the internet and if i go in certain places you get the feeling where it's like there's something missing here either something's missing or something's being obfuscated like away from mm -hmm. me and yeah. it's like i'm just the kind of person like i need to go looking for it even if it yeah. scares me i like yeah. me it's like i like i'm one of those like freaky freak ghost hunters you know with my little tools and everything because i'm like i need to get to the bottom of things right. um 
my most recent like rabbit hole I went down was I guess apparently the industry or community of people who set up invisible security cameras in people's apartments and broadcast them either on random uh, YouTube channels or and I I don't think there's different reasons why but the idea is there are certain people who are secretly being um, broadcasted in their private life and not in just yeah. a, like the government's watching me through my webcam, more like someone like very um, deliberately installed a surveillance device in my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've not heard about this at all. What, what do you call that? Like, what do I search to find this? I don't, I don't know really what it is, but um, what it's called. But yeah. I saw one that was like, oh, somebody's, maybe this is a very small example. Um, but somebody's landlord was um, filming their tenant for like years and their idea was they wanted to like plant a narrative for like suing their tenants and like getting money out of them so they would just like film their tenant every single day doing things post a hundred videos every single day of them doing things and then they're posting the videos mm-hmm. and then putting like captions saying see she's messing with the you know oh, trying to like shit. form a narrative um yeah i guess that's the most recent one and then it's meant it's funny you mentioned oil because i just stumbled across one of the most disturbing um stories about the oil industry um on the internet that i just like haven't been able to forget about it um because a lot of i yeah also on the internet i'm like wow you find find out a lot of fucked up shit about the oil industry yeah yeah Yeah. what um what's been like the most recent uh what's the most recent scheme that happens i guess right now for the oil industry well maybe not oil but like dark dark Mm. web in general dark web in general well one thing that like so one thing that kind of changed my perspective on the dark web a lot recently was, so I was looking at a lot of these um, conversations and comments by people talking about essentially why they were on the dark web. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I kind of read through some threads of people talking about like, <laughs> I remember reading one about like someone being like, I would never take fentanyl. And then someone chimes in like, actually, um, fentanyl is great. Here's why I take it. And, yeah. and I was just like reading through this and I was like, damn. But okay, the thing I wanted to say was that I learned that um, 40% of inmates in America have ADHD. And then that kind of put a lot of this kind of pipeline into perspective um, to me and made me think about the dark web a lot more mm. differently. Yeah. Mm. A lot of inmates have ADHD. So like, do you think, so I'm thinking about that. Like, do you think if, if I'm somebody that has ADHD, am I more likely to, um, <laughs> like my likelihood a probability of maybe one day, being institutionalized like does that go up um definitely yeah and your likelihood of 
probably going on the dark web and buying stimulants to function is much higher also. Okay. Well, yeah. so this is such, this is so crazy because this is very validating to me because mm. um, I have ADHD as, I mean, pff, <laughs> anyone could tell you that, but um, <laughs> I really completely non it's not my fault but i was so close to being institutionalized um at a time in my life um because i was so um i worked at a tech company and essentially i was so micromanaged and like uh isolated manipulated controlled brainwashed yeah. i had a panic attack and mm. and this is very people this happens every single day to many right. different kinds of people. And I went to the um, emergency room and um, I just, I needed to just self like, I was, you know, I needed a break. I was having burnout and you, I was like, you know what? I right. need somewhere to go just for a couple of days, just to be monitored, like sure. just like self admit, very neutral. I was like, I just know what I'm going through. I just can't be, I've just been either at home or at work for, like 365, like I just need to be in another space. Real. So that's essentially what I was there for. And um, I really wanted to go to the inpatient um, facility at the ho at my local hospital because it was a really, really nice facility where they like treat their patients really well. Um, but apparently there's such a crisis, mental health crisis right now um there wasn't enough room like there wasn't a room for me and yeah. the um psychologist there told me you know you have two options like you can either wait here in the emergency room for you know who knows how long and wait until a room opens for you just like yeah. wait in line essentially or you can go to the other in patient facility that we contract with that's 10 miles outside of the city and there's no visitation hours only for like one hour on the weekend and yeah. if you're then they basically like <laughs> abuse their patients and I was like in, I was just like so impatient that I was like I just need to get out of the emergency room because I've been yeah. here for 10 hours um, That's not a fair choice to give someone with ADHD. No, and you know what's crazy? Because, um, like, my um, case was, like, so mild. But I'm a very, like, I'm, I'm such an advocate for myself. If I know something's yeah. not right, I will be just, like, stop treating me like this. So I really, looking back, um, so luckily I made the right decision for myself. And um, I was so close to going to this like horrible place <laughs> yeah. um, and possibly never like basically like th being thrown into the system because I don't really like being in places where like I'm told to be good because right. unfortunately at a lot of these places you have to be good like on your best behavior and mm. a lot of people go through the pipeline of like going to a bad inpatient facility and then going to prison and then coming back to the ER and then going because uh, when I was there, people I, from inpatient facilities go to prison. So somehow, a lot sometimes? of time, yeah. So a lot of these very seedy inpatient places where they just like are not, and I think it mostly, you know, has to do with the mental health crisis that's happening now. Um, For sure. People are just the system is so overwhelmed with cases. 
um, what happens is like people are in really bad mental states. So, but no matter how, like how bad your case is, if you put your hands on a, like, um, a staff member, that's, or you hit somebody that's, you're going, you're, you got a case, you got another case now. Um, so when I was in the ER, I saw, yeah, I saw a lot of people, um, in the ER who were just coming out of prison. Like they just got released. So when I was there, it's just like, I'm like this 100 pound girl, white girl, that's just like sitting around. And I was like, I just need to go somewhere, guys, like just not feeling good. Um, And I was there for 24 hours um, and it was worth it because had I not waited and been extremely patient, they probably I would probably just not be here today because um if I, I definitely can see myself being in a pos- position where like I go somewhere that's like trying to like keep me there for as long as possible and then right. probably just like cracking and like punching somebody and then going to prison. <laughs> but yeah. that's very validating to me that you say that because I think it's so it's so true. And when I was mm-hmm. in the ER, it was just like a lot of people who um there's a lot of people there who are like clearly very disenfranchised but a lot of them were coming out of prison and then the psychologist would come and be like i don't know where to send them we don't have enough room at our inpatient and the only other place that's available is like this place in the middle of illinois and it's like it's really 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 awful so every that's why i'm just like on cloud nine every single day because i'm like i just saw death before my eyes <laughs> yeah yeah but no, i felt I, like i was yeah. in a physical manifestation of the dark web a little bit because it's um it that totally checks out mm-hmm. um but essentially my question is um why if you are somebody who has adhd like what do you feel like are like some of the like ra- i mean we know i <laughs> my case was like very common but what are you thinking is like a very common case um a common case for what like if you're more likely to go um to go to prison um Mm -hmm. what what do you think usually happens uh if someone has adhd do they just like forget to because i i don't drive i haven't driven in seven years um Mm. but i've I'm a horrible driver because, oh, a stop sign <laughs> could have fooled me, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't know exactly. Um, I So I also have ADHD, mm-hmm. um, if that wasn't clear yet. <laughs> but yeah, I just, yeah, I, I don't really know so much about that part, but I was just like looking, I was just like looking at these posts on the dark web and was like, thinking about other things I know about how um, mental health can be criminalized. And I was like, yeah, this is oh, clearly yeah. a, you have ADHD that goes undiagnosed, you're yeah. not getting help, and you somehow end up in prison and stay there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think about um, my brother who has ADHD. He is a security guard, and that's like the perfect job for him. And I think he will stay in that industry because he's actually yeah. very good at it. Um, and he, um, 
there's but, but there's but growing up there were multiple times where because uh, the education system treats kids with adhd just like garbage you know, there were times that like he would lash out at somebody right. or say something threatening and he's like just being a kid. Um, yeah. And then the there was like one situation where the the school called the police and it really was just so infantilizing because right. the whole point really of that was to scare him of and course. to like make him feel like somebody's watching you and you have to be good <laughs> right right and the police officer is like well we could have called and it's like oh my gosh this is terrifying yeah. for a child yeah fully okay now i can't go without mentioning this but um <laughs> i so i wrote a play that happened last december that's happening again in march called black pilled a blueprint mm -hmm. and um it's about like this is about digital racism a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's about um, Afro-pessimism a little bit. Mm -hmm. But it's also about how my parents called the cops on me um, like, well, like uh, three years ago or so and making sense of that. And n like looking back now, I can't separate that event from the fact that I had ADHD and didn't know it. And I think those are, they were just like so... Intricately connected in retrospect. Yeah. Um, yeah. Isn't it like such an isolating feeling to be like, I want to advocate for myself because that's my rights. Um, and ostensibly, there are so many resources out there for me, but it's like the minute you do, it's like, oh, no, 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 no. This, this crazy person, like, right, they right. need to be put away. <laughs> You know? Wrong way, too loud, sit down. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's, yes, I almost, like, there's times where, like, I've almost called the police, not on myself, but because mm -hmm. I was feeling some kind of way. Um, <clears throat> it's weird because it feels like you're, <laughs> feels <laughs> like you're in a knife fight with society. It's like, I really want to, like, defend myself, advocate for myself as a patient yeah. Yeah. because I'm very, you know, uh, it's like a very volatile thing um, right. and like mental health is like you would think that people like are like oh yeah I want to help or people want to help um, right. but there's so many but more often than not people are just like oh we need to you we need a, some authority figure here to like really right. get down to business and it's like right, right, right. I was like you know it, it feels like um, you always feel like so misunderstood right it's like right. guys I really don't want to like you know i don't know i'm not looking for trouble okay <laughs> right right this yeah. okay what you're saying so so resonates with me mm -hmm. yeah um yeah so i mean this just like so this reminds me of this personal experience mm -hmm. and i mean also thank you for sharing yours yeah um, it's a it's such rough. a weird thing but yeah. it's like such a common like it's like the dark web it's like nobody yeah. talks about it happens every day but people are going right. through this cycle of like inpatient prison ER, yeah. or like yeah. or like halfway house addiction inpatient prison blah 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 so right yeah right systems broken so, <laughs> so broken um yeah. so when my parent my parents called the cops on me after this argument mm -hmm. we had or whatever yeah. and um my mom told the police there were two officers that i was suicidal which mm -hmm. and i wasn't but mm -hmm. it put me in this this really weird position where I'm trying to be like 
super normal. Like having a panic attack when I'm yes. super normal. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not insane. Guys, Please. no, no, no. <laughs> you know, I'm just feeling a little anxious. All right. <laughs> right, right. And they're looking at me being super nervous and being like, wow. It was just like this this crazy experience where like I was like being the most normal I could ever be in my life. Just like mm -hmm. thinking about how like, oh yeah, if I'm not not if I'm not so neurotypical right now, mm -hmm. I'm gonna go to jail. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm like going was, to yeah. jail just because of like who I am. And right. I mean, I've talked about this on my podcast before in like small bits, but mm. essentially my situation was like just a result of being like really isolated in the tech industry and mm. just being in a position of like, I was like so like quiet and like such a hard worker and like very submissive for such for a whole year. And then the minute like I said something about like being overworked and being like overworked to the point of like physical and mental exhaustion right. it was just like oh my god you're fired like get out of here or like and i like it was such a weird experience because i had spent every single waking day of my lives with these people for a whole year right. and then right. in a span of seconds it was like all cut off for me and mm -hmm. there were no messages no letters no like thank you so much for your hard work. Maddie, right. you worked 60 hours a week. Um, it was just like this weird um, moment of disillusion where it was of like, course. oh, no, no, no. Ma now we really know who you are, Maddie. You should have been fired earlier. And um, then they just like proceeded to like talk shit about me, say that I was toxic and a problem. And right. yeah, of course, that would send anybody to the emergency room. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know? Like, hello. Um, but it's like really, really funny because there's just so many levels of irony in situations like that. Just so, yeah. so crazy. It's so, but so crazy. It's weird because when I was an inpatient, like the vibe is so extreme. Like you want to be there because, you know, you're feeling like just so volatile but you're not like in a place where it's like i didn't feel really that i was a harm to myself or others mm -hmm. i was just like panicking um right but in order for me to like get out of there as soon as possible because nobody likes to be there and mm -hmm. um i really had to like very carefully articulate what i was right. experiencing right I didn't want to use any words that would trigger the team, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It, it reminds me of that meme where it's like, um, oh, like me deciding how honest to be with my therapist so they don't like lock yes, me up or something. Yeah. It's so true. Like I never want to like say too much because I don't really, sometimes I feel like certain practitioners really do not get it, you know, and they misinterpret right. like, really what you're trying to say and i'm like yeah. i didn't mean it guys <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. you know i think this is for me like when i'm performing sometimes or writing um i feel like being in those situations where it's been so necessary for me to like perform normality and like be what is being asked mm -hmm. of me 
I think has made me a better performer in some sense. You know what I mean? I don't know if you feel that way. Absolutely. I mean, at my last job, I worked in the sales department. So Mm -hmm. the whole idea is that you have to be lying all the time to just get by. And you have to perform. And like, no matter what happens in the office, you just have to be like very ice queen. And like, there were so many moments where, and honestly, like I liked work. I loved working with my clients and I had no problem manipulating them because that's the job. (laughs) more or less and um but I really had to be the best actress I could be and really tap into those acting skills as Mm -hmm. a form of like yeah protecting myself um from danger (laughs) you know and um and yeah it it all of these little moments like it does make me a better performer because I've already field tested so many little mechanisms in my life. Um, There's things that I have gone through in my life. I'm like, oh, all the acting school in the world couldn't give me this. (laughs) All right. You know? Um, Yeah. 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 Oh, man. Um, But you were saying that, like, you kind of, like, do you ever feel like, oh, yeah, I'm a performer at my core because... I have like, I like have training, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So it's, um, so I, I got diagnosed with ADHD like late 2022. So honestly, it's like, I've spent a lot of the last year thinking about that and like integrating that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's like, okay, my status as a performer, how much of this is like, yeah. How much of this is just like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's no. I'm, it, I'm it's really easy to like yeah. overthink. It's like, how much of this is just me being some kind of way? Um, but I don't know. I'd rather sit with some weird conspiracy idea than be in prison. <laughs> um, you know, I'll just preoccupy myself with this idea right now. Um, yeah. You know, and um, but. It's, uh, so I really liked that you mentioned that this play was like about being treated for insomnia. Um, when I was a kid, I don't know about you, but like I was a huge night owl when I was like a kid. Yeah, same. I Just, still am. I went yeah. to bed at five last night. Five, eight, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that yeah. checks out. Yeah. When I was um, in high school, I just spent most of my time on Tumblr um, mm. and that's really all I did. I didn't do any schoolwork. I just was on Tumblr um, for a good, probably 20% of my life so far. Um, yeah, yeah. And um, since like, you know, being, you know, the older I get, the more earlier I wake up. So I usually wake up at like between six and seven on average. Um, mm-hmm. But by nature, yeah total total night owl and really had no intention of ever (laughs) ever changing anything about that you know right right that is the thing i'm yeah like that's one of the affordances freelancing gives me that i'm really grateful for yeah yeah same because um like i i'm pretty productive during the day but something happens at night or towards like five or six o'clock in the afternoon 
I think your like cortisol levels shoot up or something and it just like activates a part of your brain that makes you feel more focused naturally. Yeah. I've always felt like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? That resonates with me. Yeah. Definitely. What kind Have of... Have you free- ever been in uh, insomniac? Um, I think not like um in the clinical sense, not an sure. insomniac. I would just say like... I'm a night person. I'm the nightlife. Yeah. You know, I was born for the nightlife. Um, but not like just like actual clinically. It's, are you an insomniac? I guess I've never been diagnosed, mm-hmm. but like I've tried so many things and have mm-hmm. had like periods of days to weeks at a time where I've just been like consistently only able to get like three or five hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. Or yeah yeah there's there's like when i was working in tech there were definitely nights where or days where i just like did not sleep fully probably why i went to the emergency room um Mm. and um yeah it's it's like crazy sleep is so important it's insane um but yeah i think but i like this concept of this play that you mentioned because it just like I always felt like theater um, is a good and like playwriting in general and like talking about characters. It's like almost like a better medium of expressing myself because it kind of removes things from my own experience, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've had experience. So I wrote this play, Blackfield. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Please talk more about as, it. So initially it was like an anti-nihilist play. Mm-hmm. I think now it's a nihilist play. But um, the point I wanted to make is that I was, that in performing this and in talking to the director, so one of the characters in the play was me mm-hmm. um, and I performed as myself. And in talking to the director, like, oh, what is this character Alex Beige want? Like, what are they doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and this director is like analyzing the character in the play and I'm like, this is better than therapy. Like this is it, doing yeah. way more. <laughs> it's far more effective yeah um yeah yeah because the idea behind cognitive behavioral therapy is like you want to separate your emotions your experience of those emotions like outside of yourself and like it's just an emotion guys like i'm not identifying with it um Mm -hmm. but it's really hard to do that just like on an ideological level and theater is so practical it's like yeah let's act out this little scene and take a look at like really what the fuck is good you know and um i just yeah i totally understand like when you see your own yeah when somebody is like really like analyzing like a version of yourself outside of you you're like oh yeah this is much more therapeutic (laughs) Yeah. So, like, when doing this play, did you, like, what? I guess you said, like, now you feel a little bit different walking away from it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Um, so, initially, after doing the play, it felt like I'd been, like, absolved of this terrible mm-hmm. thing that had happened. Mm-hmm. And I felt great. Mm-hmm. Um, but now when I look at the play, I'm just, like, <laughs> wait, I'm trying to think of this in a productive way way i just don't identify with the character as much wow with the character yeah to the point where in order to make the play better recently i've had to think a lot more about like yeah how i can change it to better reflect how i feel now mm. and how do you feel now 
Well, so in the original play, um, there are like literal black pills on stage mm -hmm. that are like a symbol for despair mm -hmm. um, that one of the characters is taking. And um, they're like trying to get them to stop taking them. Like, okay, you don't need, you don't have to, it's not so bad. But now I'm like, maybe accepting that despair can be a good thing sometimes. Mm -hmm. And like actually acknowledging it can be a good thing. So now I'm trying to treat the character who was despairing with a little bit more respect, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, there's something to be said about like, because I feel like people who, I understand why people are turned off from nihilism and just like leaning into despair. Um, yeah. But I think it's not necessarily putting a value statement on despair. It's more of like being very neutral about despair. Um, right. Because being honest about desperation is like so, like why would you like spot the lie? You know, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you know? I and I think what I'm thinking about right now is I think nihilism, if you engage in it correctly, yeah, for maybe not your entire life, I think it can also be productive. So I'm trying to, yeah, be more gentle about it. Yeah, I mean it's really easy to like lean in, and I think also like for about CBT, like a lot of it is like mm -hmm. trying to like separate yourself from like ident like really identifying like this ideology is my identity fully um right. and maybe you maybe you can like really identify your values with I ideology but like the difference is uh don't don't manipulate yourself i guess maybe right that's right. a thing yeah and, there's yeah. i was reading this also happens in like a video game that i really like but i was reading this critique of like all of these these like therapy apps that have um emerged like mm -hmm. in this age of ai that kind of that can use cbt to talk you through your problems yeah um but like the cbt can be a really useful tool but the one catch of it sometimes is that like it doesn't actually always help you solve the problem it mm -hmm. so like in this game i like where there's a cbt app that's on the market like kind mm -hmm. of ruled by an ai system like the first patient being treated by this ai um app comes in and they're like despairing about climate change and they're like the world's getting worse we need to do something i feel terrible can you help me and they're like coming to get therapy mm -hmm. from this like ai system for that and the ai system just kind of like talks them through their feelings um maybe maybe makes them like ultimately a little more um accepting of them mm -hmm. but at no point is there like a solution oriented response like mm -hmm. it can only in some cases cbt just kind of generates a kind of complacency mm -hmm. which is why nihilism i think in like a very small dosage can also be productive oh yeah definitely and I think there was it too hard to follow. Wait, oh no, no. I I think there's a certain like pragmatism that like what what game what game was it? It's called Eliza. Hmm. I feel like my husband has probably played this. Um, <laughs> um but 
yeah it's really weird like i like a lot of these i mean first of all if we know anything about telehealth is like some of these platforms are magnets for lawsuits um (laughs) and yeah there's just like so many data regulation uh, shifts going on right now that i think it's a very bold thing to want to uh really latch on to the the idea that like a computer can really be in touch with um a something that's like so (laughs) multi-layered um that's insane that's crazy yeah do you go to therapy or i did do therapy for yeah, I've done therapy on like two like major occasions, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in therapy at the start of 20. Oh, actually going to therapy was a big part of what helped me realize I had ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So after like doing that for maybe like four months or so and learning a lot about myself, I was like, I, in this case, I feel like I got what I came here for. So mm-hmm. yeah, kind of, that's good. Yeah, took a break. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I can't help coming back to this idea of like uh when you want to like advocate your, for yourself as mm. um somebody that like does need resources but you don't want to dig yourself a hole um and put yourself in some kind of situation. It's just like the weirdest place to be in because it's so isolating. <laughs> yeah. Wait, like, say, what do you think? Oh, no, that yeah, totally makes sense. Like, yeah. yeah, it's just funny because it's like, um, the it's like very counterintuitive to the whole idea of like, accept being like so accepting about like neurodivergency. Right. And everybody's here to help you. And um, it sometimes it feels like um, <laughs> if I put like my tinfoil hat on, it feels like more people are there to control you in the guise of trying to help you. And right. yeah. that's, I had this moment, once again, it all comes back to tech, man. Uh, I had this it. moment um, where I was like in a fight with somebody that I worked with and I was advocating for myself because I was overworked and they said like oh you should be grateful to be in the position you are now um, because there are people in Eastern Europe getting their houses blown up and it was the most like earth-shattering moment and it blew my mind completely because not only because it's so manipulative but it was like this so like 10 uh, degrees of like irony and being removed from like somebody's somebody that's directly in front of you and then something Mm -hmm. you don't know anything about and i'm really i mean looking back of course like i always fantasize about being like my family name is slavic we my grandparents came here from (laughs) blah 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 and their houses got blown up and nobody cared because they advocated for themselves and i don't know but (laughs) yeah it was like kind of one of and that was also another moment not didn't really necessarily had to do with like my neurodivergency but had more to do with like what's the point of me even like saying an opinion (laughs) nobody fucking cares you know but i guess that's like what my yeah like we were saying like the creative endeavors kind of really fill that gap because 
um then i'm like have those moments. like nobody cares nobody fucking cares man. <laughs> um yeah what is this whole world and um then i'm like no i have like a huge community of people that like actually do care um and want to like unpack some of these things um and right. it's like actually not lame <laughs> yeah you know? yeah that's so crazy that they said that also that is so insane it's so i mean it's also one of those things where uh i feel like and it's made me also a better podcaster too because um there's so many situations in my life where like i just want to be nice and you guys just want to let you know maybe you shouldn't say that <laughs> it makes me feel some kind of way but like yeah. i we're all learning here you know um and now i'm just like okay people show you her who they are the minute Slowly. something happens and it's just like oof <laughs> <laughs> maybe yeah, yeah. Ugh, man that's why I'm just like really leaning to, into, I'm like, I got to lean into the shock jock thing now more than ever, you know? The <laughs> shock these, jock? Well, yeah. The, I mean, I've just been really onto this idea like radio is like kind of uh, another, like its own version of like the dark web. Mm. Um, people used to listen to radio and like insane. It was just like a non-mainstream countercultural medium and right. it's not so much that way anymore but i think podcasting can more or less serve sort of the same function um there's so many podcasts out there that and many of them have come and gone but um it can definitely serve the same function as radio for sure yeah fully mm -hmm. i was not expecting to get a deep dive on like pharmaceuticals industry x tech x adhd today mm -hmm. and i yeah, I mean, I like that's, you're singing my song, um, <laughs> but what, so with all these things considered, like, what do you think is going to anticipate is going to inform your next project? Um, so the rewrites that I'm doing for Blackfield right now, um, okay, wait, actually, hmm, okay, so the next, next project I'm doing mm -hmm. is a, um, it's called Website Evangelist Eulogy for a Laptop. And I'm like performing alongside my laptop, which is kind of like a puppet um, for me, who is a website evangelist, um, spreading the word of website God. Um, that's the next thing I'm working on. I'm realizing I forgot what your question was. Oh, um, no, this is perfect. Cause you're kind of like basically cutting to the chase, which I love. Um, wh what about that is sort of like, is there, um, did you recently lose a, a laptop or? I was considering your losing life? <laughs> my laptop. <laughs> yeah. I was considering exchanging my laptop. Yeah. yeah. And when you uh, let a device go in your life, you always feel some kind of way. Like, oh, yeah. this device got me through so many breakups, mental breakdowns, jobs. Right. You know, yeah. it's weird. It's kind of like, saying goodbye to an instrument you know yes yeah so so true like yeah i yeah go ahead when, yeah i don't know if you've ever like played an instrument before i played the cello when i was like a kid and whenever it was time to like transition to like a bigger size or a nicer instrument like i was like oh my gosh i have to sell this thing that's like physical and has been in 
I've been like hugging it for hours. I literally, you yeah. hug the instrument. And yeah. Um, yeah, it always feels like you do have to have like a serious eulogy for <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, so the, the play is about like um, grief and loss and you said that and it made me also think about the fact, so I grew up playing the saxophone Mm -hmm. um which has just been under my bed since i moved to astoria i held it like maybe once mm -hmm. um and i incorporated the saxophone in this play um probably for kind of the reasons you're hinting at now is that mm -hmm. that i do feel so strongly about it and regard it with such like power and how it's like been in my life for so long and yeah i want to feel that connection to it again yeah I have a couple of uh, devices and also an, uh, something unique about a laptop uh, or a, you know, any kind of um, tech, you know, a laptop, a phone, iPhone. Um, there's not really a sustainable way to um, dispose of them. Like you can refurbish, like have it, sell it to be refurbished, put it on some kind of um, like back market. Um, yeah. But it's like you can't technically you can't really just put it in the trash because right. it's really technically <laughs> it's not right to do that. Um, it's like putting batteries in the trash, you know, um, putting batteries in the trash. Yeah. And listen, I'll throw myself <laughs> under the bus. I've done that before, um, but I've <laughs> never in my life thrown a phone or a single um, laptop or Same. iPad. And it's weird because it's like, what, where do they go? <laughs> where do they go? Yeah. Yeah. They just like hang around and they do feel very ghostly. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I saw this stand-up performance that was so good like two weeks ago. Um, what's their name? Have you seen Los Spookies? I have seen the show. I haven't watched the show, but I've seen the show. What is the name? Julio Torres yes. is the name of, yes. Mm -hmm. So I saw them performing stand-up, and um, one of the jokes was about how, like, his phone, um, he was ready to move to a new iPhone. Mm -hmm. And when he made the switch to, like, pull the data from one to the other, mm -hmm. um, somehow, like, the magic trick just, like, didn't work. And there was just, like, this confusion about, like, the iPhone's identity. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it really stood out to me. What, what, what um, was that, like... It was something that wasn't part of the joke or it was so that was the joke okay. i mean yeah that yeah. was like part of the joke but it was very funny and i was just mm -hmm. like it felt so real because yeah. yeah it does feel like these laptops and um devices have like a soul to some degree yeah and it's it's funny because i recently bought a new computer and i had been on this my old laptop i'd been on it for like five years most apple devices i feel like only live to be five years long um yeah they're like yeah they're like insects and <laughs> um i did the like the data transfer like did the whole thing move my apple id to the new device but even when you when you move your uh, cloud to a new device things get lost in the mix yeah. and the computer will just tell you, Hey, we can't move this to your new device. It's going to be in purgatory. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Damn. Unless you like go back and like do all this work. 
And um, I forget what they, what it told me that it couldn't put, like it couldn't transfer over. But it was something I really didn't care about. Um, and honestly, I think it was like some kind of sound effect that I like downloaded from some random website. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's crazy. Because um, I'm like, wow, where did this piece of my soul go? Yeah, it's just drifting. Yeah. So is this play uh, about a eulogy for a laptop? Is it like very character driven, would you say? Um, or is like the... Does the laptop have have its own like character? Um, so the laptop does have its own character. Um, so I, part, a big part of it is me talking to them. Um, but the show itself kind of oscillates between me as the website evangelist playing this character and me as myself talking. Mm -hmm. It's like a one person show. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I love a one person show. Um, only because it just feels so much like magical and um i think as an actor it's mm. such a i don't know for some reason like as an audience member actually uh yeah. even though i'm like oh yeah great it's sometimes somehow it just like makes you feel as an audience member like how did they do that it's like <laughs> they just are playing now another character and over the course of these two seconds um, yeah. but somehow it's just like so quick and easy and simple. Um, yeah, it's a great form. It's really, really great. And it just allows you to like be so creative. Like I can do anything cause nobody else is a part of this. Like, right. Yeah. yeah. It's very freeing. Yeah. And for me, it's like, it really touches to my roots as from doing stand up comedy. Like yeah. that's like, as I've started writing plays again and doing stand up again, I ultimately still do feel like stand-up is maybe what I'm best at or like comedy to some degree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. this show feels like um, it's in between those two spaces. Yeah. Yeah. It is kind of like, it's so funny because, oh man, there's just so many, um, like I, yeah, I don't really know how I feel about like the Mike Birbiglias of the world. Because it is sort of that, Wait, like... who are the Mike Birbiglias of the world? So, basically, there are these, like, stand-up comedians that they are comedians and identify as comedians, but their specials are billed as one-man shows and kind wow. of... Sir, and are like, oh, I'm at Lincoln Center. Uh, it's like, you know what I'm saying? Kind of like... Yeah. Where it's like the whole thing... Like, the person is a stand-up comedian, like a tenor yeah. stand-up comedian. But then, and I watched his recent special. I mean, he's a good storyteller, but I was like, yeah. where are the props? There's a backdrop <laughs> here. And he's doing some acting, but right. it's still his stand-up persona. Um, yeah, yeah. So I feel like there's this, like, people, like, when people do, like, really good one-man shows, it, like, makes you realize, like, it's actually its own very specific thing. And yeah, there's so many like, yeah, it's there's this weird like subculture of like comedians who like really want to be like, perf like I'm an actress, you know, um, but I'm not just a joker, okay? Exactly. I can be serious. <laughs> and um, it's such a 
I don't know. I have so many feelings about that because it's like, first of all, jokes are important. Like, don't throw away right. the joke joker part because right. that's important. You love the um, joker. Yeah. And at the same time, it's like, um, you know, are you are you a thespian? <laughs> you know, <laughs> where's the props? Where's yeah. the character work? Where's right. the writing? Holy, yeah. So I, I feel like what you're saying resonates with me a lot. For me, I feel like um, I enjoy like the theater maker doing like comedy slash stand up more so than like the, the comedian doing theater. Yeah. I, I saw this show um, by Ike Ofamaru called Amusements. Um, and it was at Playwrights Horizon. And it's like a one person show. And he's, he's like doing stand up. But he's really just playing this like super broad range of like nonsensical characters that mm-hmm. have a relationship to each other and the audience, but not really. Um, and it's kind of like on paper, it's stand up, but it's so much more so theater. And I like mm-hmm. love that space. And I wish more things existed in that realm. Yes. Yeah. More so than like the Mike Birbiglia type. Yes, thing. exactly. Um. Yeah, it all. Co- I say that I've said this on at least maybe like five different episodes, but it all comes back to that Bo Burnham, my enemy. Um, Bo Burnham, my enemy. Yes, you gotta watch some of his stuff because um, it kind of gives the same, same energy a little bit. Um, yeah. But what you were talking about that really reminds me of like one of my favorite um, forms of like one man like th- this weird line between like comedy writing characters and theater mm-hmm. i um listened to a reggie watts album once and it like changed my life and it really is one of the things that got me into audio engineering because mm-hmm. i had no idea that you could just tell an incredible story with only sound and sound effects and i've never heard of this person oh yeah you got yeah he's like comedian like stand up but he's got albums on basically like all of his stuff is like very rooted in storytelling with sound um Mm. and it really reminds me of like the early days of radio where people just discovered that they could make sound effects while recording voices and um, those like really old timey songs were just like littered with like boings doings and stuff like that and I'm like let's bring that back you know the texture Mm -hmm. (laughs) the texture is so important yeah no that sounds amazing yeah to check them out when is um so this play when is that um when are you doing the eulogy (laughs) Yeah, so the website Evangelist Peace is happening happening on the twenty second. So like two, three, three weeks from now. Yeah. Twenty second, three weeks. Yeah, from... so it's on it's on that weekend. Yes. Perfect. That's awesome. And like what's the um what's the full um title of it again? It's website evangelist colon eulogy for a laptop i love a title with some good punctuation in it yeah i feel like it's so easy it's such an easy uh thing to be like oh my play is named laundry motorcycle 
or <laughs> a banana um, republic, you know, like it's yeah. so easy to like, but yeah, I love those like multi, yeah, multi hyphenated uh, play titles. Um, Do you have a, a type of, what's your favorite kind of play title and what's your least favorite kind of play title? Um, you can be that, honest. I think my favorite kind of play title is something that is kind of ambiguous, but it makes the audience like actually think about what the play is really about. Mm. Um, and like actually makes you makes audience like meditate on the play on a holistic level a lot more. So I like those um, plays. There's a Don Donald Margulies play called Time Stands Still, and mm. you know the play could easily be called um, My Life as a Journalist or <laughs> Writing for Tomorrow or something like that or. Um, it's like about a journalist that uh, is in like Afghanistan and she breaks her leg and like comes back to home to recover. And I mean, there's so many like that prompt, like there's a wealth of words you could use, but the fact that it's called time stands still really, really is a driver about a lot of the thematic conversations um, that the play brings up. Um, it's like, you can't really have you really can't consume that play without thinking about the phrase time stands still um and i honestly i'm kind of corny i really like that they say the words like i took the picture time just stood still i don't know i love that no yeah. i am so here for that yeah because it's like now you really can't it's like uh, the stephen sondheim methods like you cannot have just something arbitrary um I don't like titles that are like, I don't know if I really love one word, one worded um, play titles. Um, Cause I'm like, there's more here. Right. Uh, I feel that way. Yeah. And there's, yeah, like there's this play about uh, Rothko and it's called Red and it's a good play. Um, Red? Yes. <laughs> I know. Okay. At the very least, when you're thinking of a play title, I think you should be like, how is someone going to possibly Google this? Well, I mean, <laughs> it's sort of like, it's like, you know, okay. It's like, I get it, but I don't know. It's a really good play. No shade to the play, but yeah. I personally, I would probably call it something else because mm. it's like about Mark Rothko. His paintings are red. The play is called Red. And you know what? Fair enough. <laughs> so, but like, I'm not, I don't know, like that's what I'm walking away with. So, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Maybe a better play would be like, a title would be like Rothko. Yeah, it would be. Red, the color in their paintings. Yeah. Or the artist is present. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, or, that title slaps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Okay. Website evangelist, eulogy for a laptop, um, three weeks from now on the 22nd. Um, and then where can we find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram at virtually.alex.beige. You can find me on my website, which is alexbeigeweb.dev. Um, you can find me in Astoria. All my um, 
address information, phone number, it's all online. So. Well, thank you, Alex, so much for coming on the show. This was wonderful. Um, yeah. Yeah, a wonderful um, cap on my very long, busy week. And um, yeah, this has been lovely. And yeah, hopefully I see you around soon. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. This was so much fun. Oh, awesome. I'm so glad. Um, yeah. And scene. Thank you.